0: Hi everybody, welcome to Eternal Leadership Podcast and today we're going to be talking about what is happening in the future. What are the trends going on? How do we actually cut through some of the, uh, maybe some of our preconceptions, uh, our experience, what we're seeing in the news? So I wanted to ask a friend of mine, Joel Block, to come on and, and share a little bit about this. Joel, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Now, Joel and I met through the National Speaker Association. There's an amazing group, a subgroup, part of NSA called the Cigar Peg, which is a bunch of people that are into philanthropy and fun and of course cigars. And uh, we've been getting together for months, uh, Joel, haven't we, and just every week, And everybody's just been sharing what's working, what's not working, what they're doing, how they're making decisions as they coach, speak, consult, train. And in the experience that's on that call every week is is honestly, it's pretty epic. Um, But Joel, the reason I reached out to you, one of the things that Joel does and people on the call constantly um, reach out to Joel to ask questions because Joel is a futurist. He's one of those guys that not that, that just really has a discernment and a wisdom, not only about our times as they are, but where they're going. Um, you have a background. You can share a little bit about this as a hedge fund manager, venture capitalist. And I think this is a skill set that's probably you've been able to look forward, has helped you throughout your your career. So we before we dive into some of these trends, and we're going to be talking really about uh, what did we talk about, Joel? You actually just published... This amazing. You guys can download it, uh, a white paper. Uh, it's actually awesome on 29 trends for maximizing sales, optimizing profits in the next decade. So we're going to be jumping into a couple key things to pull out of here, but you can get the whole report. So before we dive into some of those key things, Joel, just share a little bit about kind of your background, your journey so far. Well,
1: first of all, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Always, uh, always a pleasure to share some ideas and I appreciate the opportunity. So uh, I spent my uh, I spent my life in the venture capital and the hedge fund businesses, which is kind of gobbledygook for a professional investor. Uh, people give me their money and then I go buy things with it. and hopefully, uh, you know we make uh, more money than we put in. and uh, you know, and I've always uh, been looking forward in time, always. I mean, that's just the nature of the the business. I'll look at a building and I'll think, uh, you know what could we do with this building? How can we improve it? I'll look at a company. Uh, is this company timely is it doing things that are relevant for not this minute but for the future and if I think they're uh, looking like there's correlation between what they're doing and where the future is going in my view uh, I'll make a bet I'll bet on that company and you know interestingly enough um, futurism is a, is an academic pursuit it, it's kind of a, a university thing and I'm not a really a much of a university person I, mean, I did go to college I did become a CPA. So I, you know, I'm educated, but I'm not overly educated. You know, I'm not so educated that I get paralyzed. And and the thing about uh, futurism is that a lot of these people are academics and uh, I don't look at it as academic at all. I mean, to me, I, I, I take these skills that I have and I've got a very specific uh, methodology for how I look forward in time and predict winners and losers and think about how things are gonna unfold, uh, which we can talk a little bit about, by the way, it's my SWIT method, S-W-I-T, and we'll talk about that. But, uh, and then I make a bet. And if I bet right, then I win and make a lot. And if not, uh, maybe not so much. So uh, that's kind of how it is. And uh, I, I just, I started at Waterhouse. Uh, that didn't work out that great, but it, it kind of put me in front of uh, an opportunity that I, I went into as a youngster and I started raising money to buy real estate because I learned about that at Price Waterhouse doing tax work. And then I fell into a venture capital transaction and I raised $10 million to build a, a startup company that uh, I ended up selling to a Fortune 500 company. And then I've just been buying and selling companies ever since. And, and some years ago, started a hedge fund and we started buying real estate. So, you know, listen, I mean, I've been in the in the money business, raising money, moving assets around, doing things uh, for my whole career. Uh, I have done what a lot of other entrepreneurs would like to do. And, uh, you know, and just uh, have, have learned a few things along the way that I would like to share.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And you know what? And I think it's important for all of us listening, right, to understand, you know, the times that we live in, right? If you guys think of the story of Issachar, right, he was called out because he understood the times and where things are going. And I got to tell you, Joel, you know, what you do and how you do it, I've always had such admiration because you're... From the outside in, you know, venture capital, it looks like this is a incredibly like risky proposition. I I think probably a lot of people probably felt the same way as they look at me, you know, flying F-14s off of carriers. But when you're in it and you're trained and you're immersed in it and you understand the details, the trends, the facts, you know, from inside of it. It doesn't feel well, it doesn't, it's not only it doesn't feel, it's not as risky. So I'm excited to have you and talk about some of these things that are going on in the world, because I really think it'll help us make better decisions when we kind of understand not only what's true today, because I, you know, I asked you a question when we first started, and maybe you could share your thoughts on this. I think our, the way our brain works, there's this thing called recency. So we're going to look at maybe the next six or 12 months, and we're gonna be making decisions based on how we see things looking six, 12, 24 months out. And we tend to do that based on what's happened to us over the last one, two, or three years. And I really think that there is some trends that we need to be aware of that are are gonna take that framework that we might have today and uh, we need to rethink that, or we could actually make, we, we might not be making the best decisions, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting that you uh, bring that up. You know, number one, the world has changed more
1: uh, in this last, uh, you know, several months than, than in 25, 35 years. I mean, I mean we, had a, we had decades of change happen almost overnight. And so not to think that it's gonna be like it was uh, before. You know, when the, when the pandemic started, one of the things that everybody did wrong, and, and, and I don't, I'm not blaming anyone, it's just that this is what went wrong, is in two weeks, this thing is gonna blow over and it's not gonna be a big deal. Okay, then two weeks later, okay, we're gonna go into a lockdown now. Uh, we'll do a couple months in a lockdown and then it'll all go away and no problem at all. Uh, and then at the end of two months, okay, it didn't really go away. In fact, it's getting a little worse. So we're going to have to do the next step for another couple of months, and you know, and, and then we're doing it again with the vaccine. Is everybody's going to get vaccinated in a couple of months, and the problem will go away? Well, you know, we got three hundred million people here in the United States. Uh, we've got uh, you know everybody's got to get two shots at six hundred million, uh, and there and their goal is to give a million people a shot a day. Well, that's six hundred days. I mean, just now I think they're going to go faster than that, but if you just stop and think about it a lot of the things that people say are just kind of ridiculous. And they kind of say them to pacify us, to kind of make us feel better, to kind of keep us from jumping out of windows. But if you just stop and be a little reasonable, you can kind of see that maybe it's not exactly the way that the media is painting the picture. And maybe they're doing it to keep us calm or whatever other reason. But a lot of things don't make sense to me. I just... I you know, I learned in the CPA school when I was young, you know, be professionally skeptical. And I guess I'm just always professionally skeptical.
0: Oh, I like that, professionally skeptical. And I think the other thing, too, that um, in the first trend we're going to really be talking about here is working from home. And, you know, everybody's like, well, of course, that's here. It's changed things. But I, you know, you have some insights on this, because I, I think, you know, as I work with my clients from Fortune 100 clients who have gone from no remote workers, except for exceptions, to 70, 80, 90% workers. And a lot of these were, you know, the military and engineering firms that were very, very resistant to this. Now, you've gone in and proved that it works and that we can get this done, that we can be productive. But there are a lot of issues actually with this. So this pandemic has definitely changed how we work, where we work. There's no going back. But what does this really imply? What does this really mean to us over the next couple of years, Joel? What, what is it from your perspective? So first, let's, uh, let's take a look. I mean, I, I don't think that uh,
1: everybody is going to be working from home forever. I, I think that people are social people. They still want to work uh, somewhat. Maybe they don't want to work at work five days a week. Maybe they want to have some flexibility, but maybe two days a week or, or so. And and by the way, uh, younger people are more likely to want to go to work than older people because younger people like to be with their friends. That That's where they make their friends. Uh, a lot of people find their spouse uh, at work sometimes. And Uh, Older people have responsibilities at home that they prefer to be home. So, for example, they maybe they have to take care of children or parents or whatever their situation is. I don't don't know whatever their deals are. But so let's say there's a hybrid model of some kind that, uh, okay, we're going to be in the office two days a week. We're not going to be in the office two days a week. And the third day is some other thing. So they kind of change the way that the schedule works you know, think about the implications of this kind of thing. And and this is really the part that you know, that I try to follow. Like, I'm not making up that we have this trend. I'm not predicting that we're going to have this trend. The trend, I, I notice it. I see that we're, this is what's happening. It's a trend, we're doing it. Well, so what's the implication? What happens? And that that's really where our SWIT method really comes in. And I, at the end of every statement, I always ask myself, so what's the impact of that? So for example, hmm. uh, if people are not going into work as much. What's the impact of that? Well, that means that less people are driving to work. Okay, great. Uh, So who's benefited from that? You know, who wins, who loses? Well, uh, if less people are driving, certainly consumers gain because they're not going to have as much traffic. Uh, Certainly uh, the climate uh, wins because uh, less cars on the road. That's terrific. Uh, Well, who loses? Well, that's less traffic tickets for cities and municipalities. That's probably uh, less gasoline for oil companies, uh, and maybe it's less automotive in general for the whole industry. There could be a whole bunch of indirect kind of things like uh, gas stations, uh, you know, are less busy, uh, which means that they're going to sell less candy bars and and all the things that they sell in little convenience shops. Well, Think about uh, the
0: entire ginormic car insurance industry. You know, I went in and updated a few months ago the fact that I was driving. 7,500 miles a year on my vehicles instead of 15 and my rates dropped in half. They just took a 50% pay cut from me. And they've also given me some dividends because they're they're paying out less claims. I don't know what that yeah, means. I, I
1: don't know if, if the companies end up making less money though because they, they get a percentage. There's kind of a formula that they kind of work on. So they probably just adjust their formula. But, okay. but you're, you're right to point out, uh, and that's worth examining. You know, because I don't know for sure, but it's worth examining and and that's that's another example. So that's an indirect hit that uh, somebody's gonna take jiffy lubes all over the country doing oil changes and you know, just getting new cars might be delayed because people are using less cars. the whole thing, the whole thing anyway, so there's a lot of differences. And by the way, the cars aren't going away, but but that's that's one example. So then the next thing, so what's the impact of people not working uh, in the office as much? Well, If half the people are working at home and half the people are working in the office, companies need less office space. So uh, downtown uh, areas, these urban areas, uh, maybe instead of having a 20 story building, they need 10. Well, uh, that's a big problem. So landlords are gonna have a a lot of difficulties. And for these reasons, by the way, uh, I'm telling, I run a mastermind of hedge fund managers and I've told these hedge fund managers let's not look at uh, urban real estate, uh, you know, right away, because urban real estate is uh, really going to come under assault, uh, which, by the way, you know, you know, as prices drop, then professional money guys go in and buy. But let's, so let's say that, you know, you have this, uh, you have half the floors of a building. Well, what does that mean for uh, restaurants and other people who are working downtown? Less parking spaces, less, less uh, parking tickets for municipalities. Uh, restaurants are going to sell half as much food because they're not going to see that. So the whole landscape of these downtown areas is going to change. And in a city like New York City, we have these giant buildings. I can just imagine the CEO of a of a, one of these giant companies comes out. Uh, he's beating his chest, all proud of himself. He looks at his building and how proud he is that he's got uh, all these people working for him. And then next thing you know, he stops and thinks, God, I'm really an idiot. I'm an idiot to uh, have 50 floors of the most expensive real estate practically in the world. Um, and we need to do something different. So What might happen is that that person might release 46 floors uh, of the building and just keep four floors of, let's say, their most important executive, salespeople, whoever they are that need to be in New York City, and relocate the other 46 floors of people to New Jersey uh, to do paperwork, accounting, phone calls, whatever things need to happen for the company. Well, think about the impact on New York City uh, when... 46 floors of people are not paying taxes in New York City anymore. Think about that. Think about the, uh, you know, the, the subway utilization, that there's gonna be so many less people using the subway, which for consumers, that sounds great to us. Oh, it'd be so much more relaxing and better. But from a financial point of view, there's just not gonna be money moving. And we have this enormous uh, investment in, in hard infrastructure in a place like New York. It's not that easy to just uh, tear it down and start over and do something different with it. So, uh, you know, that's why, you know, we need to be on the lookout for, uh, for people to do new things, like maybe convert some of the floors of these high rise buildings uh, into expensive residential real estate, you know, that that could happen. I mean, there's, there's a lot of new stuff's going to happen. There's a lot of creativity on the horizon.
0: When you're looking at companies, you and the the group of hedge fund managers, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing that is a real leadership challenge in this environment is right recruiting has now become less geographic, which means now I'm going to hire somebody in Alabama to work for that New York City company who has all the skill sets. But now I have to onboard them. I have to train them. I got to figure out how do I build and maintain a culture with a significant number of people. They're not interacting in person day to day. How do you look at the strength of a leadership team and their culture, given the fact that This dynamic, which is here to stay, I think makes some of those things more challenging. Well, first of all,
1: think about the opportunity that it opens up for people with your skill set who train leaders. Leaders are going to have to learn new skills to be effective, uh, leading people who they don't see every single day, uh, who they don't hover over, who they can't get FaceTime with as much as they used to do. Uh, There are going to be all kinds of new companies that are uh, helping with onboarding. Uh, From afar, I mean, there's just all these new things are going to happen, and there are services that we don't have right now that we're going to start needing. The whole concept of recruiting, I mean, think about the importance uh, for recruiters because you know it used to be if you had your office in New York City, you know, you'd recruit from 50 miles away, and pretty much you know your labor pool was great, and whoever was there. uh, And New York's not the greatest example. Let's say you're in a more remote place like Omaha. You know, somewhere and and the people within 50 miles, those are the people that you can pick from, you know, and if they're good people, great. And if they're not your best people, uh, that's okay. And that's just those are the people you got. But now, all of a sudden, people are going to start hiring uh, the best people from all the cities across the country, wherever they are. All the biggest places are going to be suddenly available. And even outside the country, even or even outside the country, Uh, the time zones uh, still probably are an issue. Uh, language is an issue, but you know, just imagine that you know, all of a sudden, companies can pick from whoever they want, and by the way, employees can pick whoever they want. So everybody has to do better. And you know, I, I talk about in here that um, in the in the trend report that money follows expertise. That employees, the people, need to be the best they can be because that's how they maximize their revenue. But for companies they always have to up their game. Just like individual people have to up their game, companies have to up their game and they're gonna be looking for the best people, but the people are gonna be looking for the best companies. And so you're gonna have a real shuffle of employment and and I just can imagine uh, that people are gonna be scrambling around to improve themselves. So to me, although this is highly disruptive, it's gonna be really inconvenient for a while and we're gonna have to kind of work our way through it. Think about how much better off everybody's gonna be Uh, when everybody's looking for the best company, the best people, regardless of geography, it just, it just
0: requires enormous, uh, you know, improvement all the way around. and, And I'm excited about it. Well, you know, and here's something I'd like to just share with my listeners too. If you're hiring people and they're coming into your organization, right? I'm, you know, let's say I'm here, I'm working out of my house and you've set my expectations. I've interviewed with people. I've Talk to my friends on social media that are either part of your company. And I've looked at things. I'm like, you know what? I think this is a great place for me. What happens is I really think at about six months in, in a new employee's journey, they're comparing those expectations that were set up front with reality, with how we're communicated with, how we're treated, what's the work that we're doing? Is it a meritocracy? All these different things, like how are other people treated by their bosses? I'm looking at my experience with my manager. And in this environment, it's a lot easier to change jobs when I don't have to go to downtown Denver and go interview with six people in person and you know find time in my schedule. I just put it in my calendar as another meeting.
1: Well, and, and you don't have to worry about uprooting your family if a better opportunity comes along in another city or state. So you can have your cake and eat it too all of a sudden. And think yeah. about the implications uh, you know, for all these things on uh, residential real estate. Uh, it, it opens the door for people to move further and further away from traditional suburbs, even into rural communities, because uh, there's really no restriction on their ability to get their work done. Uh, and if they don't have to come into the office uh, very often or ever, uh, there really is almost no restriction. So uh, expect new home development in, in further out areas. Uh, just all kinds of exciting things are happening in these suburban real estate markets.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot there to think about. So I think it's really good for us, you know, especially if we're running an organization, sit down with some of these trends and I like your, your sweat, right? So what's the impact of that? You could even ask that. What's the impact of that on our company, our customers? What are trends that we could take advantage of? What are, new problems that arise in the people we serve that we can solve. There's so much to think about and it it does get exciting because I I think we're going to see over the next couple of years, uh, kind of a revival of an entrepreneurial spirit with a large number of smaller companies that are stepping in to solve some of these problems. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I would absolutely hope that some of your listeners apply the SWIT method there's a whole
1: process to it and they can reach out to me and we could talk about that. You know, one of the things that happens at companies when they try to apply it is that they're so used to thinking in 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 an old fashioned way that they really need a a kind of a facilitator to kind of rattle the cage a little bit. And that's part of what I do for some companies. I mean, I don't do it often, but uh, you know, from time to time. So, and then you want to think about who the winners and losers are and make sure you're not going to be on the losing side because just like there are winners, there are going to be losers. And companies have to really be thinking, is this disruption going to be good for me or bad for me? And what can we do? And what we like to say is that uh, we want our our clients to disrupt their own competitors' futures. So rather than being the uh, disruptee, we want them to be the disruptor.
0: Yeah, I love that. And so everybody there's in this, what Joel put together, 29 trends to really think about. That We just talked about number 27, by the way. I wanna jump up to number one because I think it's pretty interesting. And you title it Fruit Trees, Topple Treadmills. Could you talk about that one, Joel? <laughs> There's not
1: a person on the planet that could figure out what that is from the uh, from the title until I explain it. But the world has moved from transactional revenue to subscription revenue. And this is, it's number one on the list because it's the most important one on the list. Uh, if you really look at uh, you know what's happening now, uh, we're all getting $20 to death. Uh, this this thing costs twenty dollars, and that thing costs twenty dollars. And it's not just one twenty dollars. It's every month on your credit card it's gonna hit over and over and over again. And you know, ten years ago, uh, this wasn't even a thing. Ten years ago, I had zero recurring charges on my credit card. Uh, now at last count, I've got close to fifty of them. And all different kinds of things that are hitting my credit card, uh, are, you know, we have Hulu, we have Netflix, uh, you know, we have Disney, uh, you know, we have all these different those are personal things business things, we have different technology services and different computer services and web services and this, and And we have all these things. And I'm not talking about like a utility company that sends you a bill every month. I'm talking about these new uh, service companies that let you do something and it's just a recurring charge. And let me share where this kind of came from. Uh, You know, and a lot of times, uh, you know, people will think, uh, well, gee, I wish I would have thought of it, but I'll tell you where it came from so y'all don't feel bad. You know, some years ago, uh, Microsoft, and this is the best example, and I don't know that they're the first, but it's just it's a good example. Microsoft, you know, had their uh, their office product where they had, what, uh, they had Word and PowerPoint and all the different things built into this package. And they would sell it for two, three, four hundred dollars at the office supply stores or wherever you got it. You'd go buy the software and you'd pay for it and then you would own the software. And that's just how it works. So Microsoft was in the business of selling software. They're not in that business anymore. They've completely left that business. Now they're in the business of renting software. They rent it to you. Uh, So now uh, the advantage for the consumer is, okay, you're going to get this bundle of stuff, this whole package of stuff. Uh, We're going to update it all the time and you will get every single update. You don't, your version doesn't become obsolete because what they used to do before is they would make it and then they try to tell you that it's obsolete now and you got to buy a new one. Now, uh, as long as you pay them $100 a year, uh, they just give you all the stuff. And so now uh, from buying the thing, you know, once every 10 years uh, where I would give them two or $300, now they get $100 every single year. And by the way, uh, everybody in my family can also use the software, which is another very cool thing. So for really very little, uh, we all get to use the software and it's just a great thing and they get a hundred bucks a year, but here's the mathematics behind it. Here's how the financial thing worked for them. I'm pretty sure what probably happened was that Wall Street talked to one of their executives and said, "Look, uh, we're we're not really liking this transactional thing. Your revenue goes up, down. Some years better than others. You know, we don't really like it. What we'd like to see you do is kind of stabilize that revenue. And if you'll stabilize the revenue and maybe turn your product into a subscription, then what we'll do is uh, we'll reward you with a better multiple, uh, you know, on your uh, on your earnings. And so your stock price will go higher." and so microsoft thought about it and said you know gee, that's probably a pretty good idea uh, okay let's uh, let's do that so in 2011 they come out with this uh, office uh, 365 program and nobody bought it the first year and then the second year in 12 13 finally by 14 it starts kind of catching on and they start to start get some traction and it starts going up in sales and uh, at that time their stock price was uh, was pretty low it was a pretty low stock price and over the next several years, it exploded, and it's become the way they run their whole business. And Microsoft—you uh, know—the whole stock market's probably up since uh, 2016, thirty or forty percent. Microsoft is up four or five hundred percent. To me, that's not a coincidence. It has a lot to do with their business model. So, you know, I'm frequently asked because I do a lot of media: Is the stock market overheated? Well, it's not exactly overheated because the business models that support the stock market have changed. The way that companies deliver revenue is superior to what it was in the past. It's more reliable, uh, you know. Just, you know, John, you mentioned the auto insurance. The way that auto insurance uh, salespeople get commissioned, they get 10% or so of the policy, but they get it for life. As long as you keep the policy, they get paid. So it takes a long time to kind of build up that base of commissions where their 10% feeds the family. But once they got it going, it takes a long time for it to fall off. You don't have a bad month. I mean, 95% of your customers are gonna constantly be renewing. You don't have a lot of churn. And and I don't don't know what the percentage exactly is, but a lot of your people are gonna keep going, you know, and then you've got something that you can sell. So uh, building a subscription-based business, Microsoft wasn't the first people to do it, but uh, I'm sure that they were enormously incentivized by Wall Street. And a lot of these decisions are are incentivized by Wall Street. I've been in the Wall Street business for really my whole career, and and I just know how it works. And that's the inside track. I mean, if people want to know what the inside track is, uh, Wall Street's always trying to think about ways to make more money. And fruit trees toppling treadmills is probably the best way that you could do it for your business.
0: So here, here's a great question I think for everybody maybe to ask themselves, because one of the things you talk about in here, what I like is it's not all or nothing. We, you don't have to completely change your business model, but here's a great question that you ask in here is what assets do you have right now if you just look at your portfolio or that you can create that could you could leverage into recurring streams of cash? Because that's something, Joel, we've been going through over the last three months after last year, um, because everything really last year was kind of a, a you know a deal to deal, right? Transaction to transaction. And we're launching some things where we're on retainer. Uh, we have online uh, training that people are going to participate in that's going to be subscription-based. But launching all that is a lot of work, but I believe we have to do it because, because if we don't, other people are, and then that they're you know that's where my customers are going to gravitate to. So, I think it's a great question that we can all ask ourselves: is what can we leverage into some kind of recurring stream of cash right now? That's right. Let's jump ahead. This is this is number um, eleven, and I like this because I think this is something really important, and this is really um, in the the human capital space and this was not this is number eleven on here. engage from the heart. Could you share a little bit about that? You know, uh, I, I'm
1: from probably one of the most vicious businesses uh, that there is, the money business. Uh, and the reason it's so vicious is because there's so much money at stake. people kill each other over uh, over a deal. I mean it's it's a very, very ugly business. I mean, it's it's really uh, ruthless. And you know, I just as much as it's ruthless and as much as I spent my life there, I think it is critically important that we always remember people are going through bad stuff all the time. I mean, there's just, you don't know what another person is dealing with. Uh, You know, be a little nicer than maybe your knee jerk would tell you to be. You know, count to three and and be nice. It, It doesn't cost anything to be nice. I'm not telling you to give away the farm. I'm not telling you, you know, to go soft on everybody. But what I am saying is that I think as a society, we need to show some common courtesy. After all that we've been through here in the last several weeks with the uh, presidential transition and the everything else, I, I think if there's nothing else that we learned, it's that uh, polarization is terrible and we're going to do better by getting along than by not getting along.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, in this time, I really believe that people are going to look back at how we showed up, everybody listening as individuals, how we treated people how we served. As an example of this, I was talking with uh, one of my clients, executive of a Fortune 50 manufacturing company. And Joel, I, I you know, I said, hey, how's your team doing? And he started sharing with me about a woman who's his lead, who he just, his right-hand person, he started telling about everything that she's doing, right? She fixed this, she's doing this, she changed these policies, these procedures. And I said, yeah, but how is she doing? He's like, well, she must be doing good because she's doing all this work. And I said, okay, well, how would, you know, how would you be able to know that? Well, he ended up calling her and saying, hey, I don't wanna talk about work. I wanna know how are you doing? And do you know, she almost broke down in tears because her husband has uh, lupus and autoimmune disease. They figured if he got COVID, it could be game over. Their 88 year old mother-in-law live with them. She's not healthy. And she is an essential worker. She has to come into work. What she does cannot be done remotely. It's one of the jobs that cannot be phoned in. And she was virtually almost beyond her breaking point from a stress level. And that conversation turned into a two-hour conversation. And they worked on some things that would really help her as a person. And, And this was so impactful to him that he cleared his next day's schedule to have a conversation like this with every single one of his direct reports and then have every one of his direct reports do the same thing with their people. And then they all got together and talked about, hey, what are all the human issues that people are working with? Depression, my kids are doing more drugs. Uh, Half of my family's out of work and they're coming to me for help financially. And you know, people are dealing with real stuff right now. And yes, we have to get the job done, here's the thing is that this is not a tactic.
1: I mean, it needs to come from the heart. I mean, it needs to be real, yep. but if you really want people to fall in love with you and and really follow your leadership and follow your lead and all the other stuff that you want to have happen, care about them uh, at least a little, you know, I mean, if you treat people like robots, you're going to get exactly that. And eventually the battery of that robot's going to wear out and they're going to be gone and done. And, you know, and help them recharge your batteries, help them Understand that you know your environment is a great environment, and that uh, they're not going to want to leave because more options are going to start coming open to people than ever before. And you know, people that you've had for a long time might just start looking around, saying, "You know what? I feel like a robot, and maybe uh, there's some other options here." So, you know, I would uh, I would tell people that they need to really think twice about how they do things.
0: Yeah, and you know, I love how you put this in here as a trend because I got to tell you that our mission that we do here at Beyond Influence is actually to change culture so that the unique value of every single person customers, vendors, employees, you know, nonprofits in the community, support everything has value and we see it even if our maybe our core beliefs or opinions are different and you know what what if all of us assume that the trend is that the world is going to become a kinder more accepting place that's what you write in here and I love that Because I think if we come from that place and we look at other people and say, how do we serve them? How do we add value without this expectation of some kind of reciprocal deal? I I used to walk, you know, back in my old days before my accident and this whole journey I've been on, Joel, you know, I'd walk into a networking event and I'd scan the crowd. And let's say you and I are talking, but I know that you could never be a customer of mine. I would have a quick conversation and I'm looking at you, you know, you've maybe you've seen other people do this to you, right? They're looking around the room. They're like, Hey, Joe, great. Talk to you. And then I, I buzz over to talk to somebody else. Yeah. And I don't do that anymore. My goal when I have a networking event, whether it's on zoom or in person, when the opportunity presents itself, I want to have one or two deep conversations with somebody and get to know them. And I got to tell you that has, that has been so much more rich in fulfilling and imagine if we all just started doing a little bit of that and created a movement where we're really kind of bringing, you know, this heart-centric approach, yeah. not being, right? From from. You a know, I, to- I
1: just I just think that we are living through such a terrible time of polarization that our, uh, our government leaders are realizing that polarization is so dangerous for us. Uh, we really have to work together better uh, I think the leaders of our country have been terrible role models. And I'm not only talking about the President of the United States, that's our our Congress people, our senators, they're leaders. They're the people that we look to, and well, they're doing it, so we might as well do the same thing. It's working for them. You know that is it's not working. And I think that the Senators and the Congress people, I think they've really realized that polarization is is the only thing that can tear this country upside down outsiders will not defeat us, but we could kill ourselves on the inside. And that uh, is a terrible thing. And we learned, I think we learned a hard lesson this last, uh, uh, you know, several months.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, when you go through adversity times like this, like when I went through my accident, I had some really close friends that it was hard for them to see us go through what we had to go through for years of recovery and everything that happened and they stopped coming around. And there's other folks that I didn't even know very well that man have become my absolute closest friends today because they just kept showing up, right? They, they couldn't write a, a check for us when we had no income but they were there to talk to us, to see how they could help. To uh, I'll never forget just somebody calling up when my wife was absolutely at her wits end and just said, hey, we're coming over today And we're going to clean the house, do all the laundry, and make sure your kids get to practice this week. And I got to tell you, that was like the biggest blessing. Because one of the things that was hard when somebody's hurting, a hard question to answer for somebody who's in adversity, when somebody goes, hey, how can I help? Well, first of all, uh, I'm a bit overwhelmed, so I don't know how to answer the question, especially as guys, I think sometimes too, it's It's really difficult to say, well, yeah, if you could do this, this, and this. But what if we just put a little bit of thought into that situation, what our experience has been, and just go up to somebody and say, hey, here's what I'd like to do for you. How's that sound? Here's an idea for you that I think could really be helpful and I wanna help facilitate that. I I think when we can just approach others from that place, we can literally make a transformational difference in their lives.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, that's uh, thats for sure. I, I I hope that we can take some of these lessons and, and really put them to good use.
0: Well, we have time here to talk about one more trend, and I want to go back here to number 10, and this is uh, leaders are casting directors, and I think one of the, the key elements of actually creating a, a great organization that's healthy, that thrives, that has a great culture is we're we're going to have to really focus on who we're bringing into the organization but I'd love to share your thoughts on this
1: well you know i i look at the whole world like it's a high school play and you know there is uh, you know there's the, the actors there's the kids that uh, that close the curtain that run the lights that do the music that you know coordinate the thing i don't i don't know whatever i could do the costumes everybody's got a certain job to do on the team to make the team look great. I mean, if the person doesn't open the curtain just right and the music doesn't work and the lights don't work, then the star of the show, it looks like a knucklehead too and and everything is bad. So all the pieces have to be functioning properly. And you know it's really up to the leader to decide what role needs to be filled and then go fill it with the right person. And as simple as that sounds, somehow or another, Uh, we tend to overcomplicate this process. And maybe it's because we're not really looking for the right thing, so we don't find the right thing. And I think it starts with, we need somebody to open and close the curtains in the play. That's what we need. And, you know, not make it all that much more complicated. We want them to, you know, we want them to do this and this and this and this. The more things that you add, the more likely somebody is to be unsuccessful in their job. One of the things that smaller companies tend to do, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get a secretary, Uh, in the morning and then in the afternoon, the secretary is gonna turn into our salesperson. So they answer questions in the morning or answer phone calls in the morning and then make phone calls in the afternoon. And guess what happens in the afternoon? Uh, They got so busy in the morning that they didn't have time to make calls in the afternoon or uh, they were so great at selling that they didn't have time to handle customer service. People tend to be good at one thing or another. And you gotta figure out what that thing is, being the casting director, figuring out Uh, who your, uh, your stars are and who your players are and who your, uh, you know, cast is going to be. If you don't figure that out properly, then you're just not going to be successful. And the whole team is not going to shine the way that you want. And that's, that's kind of the way that I summarize my experience of running companies and doing the things that I've done in my career.
0: Well, I, you know, I love that too, because I think the, you know, And the only way that we can do that effectively is to really get to know our people. Here's an example. I was doing some work with a team and they were struggling. They were, they'd been on the decline for about two years. So I I came in Joel and did an offsite with this leadership team. And I had everybody go around and just share for two minutes, just about who they are and what they do outside of work. And one woman talked about her six kids and grandkids And now this team had been together. I think the most junior tenured person on this team was eight years. Most of these people, 12, 14 years, they'd been together. And one of the women there said, oh my gosh, I had no idea you had six kids. So can anybody guess why this team was having problems?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. So there's a a couple of issues. One is that the trend is that companies are going to need to do a better job of defining what roles they need to fill and what the exact job is gonna be because they're gonna have more people to pick from in a wider variety and so forth. But the other thing is, uh, you know, states like California where I am, I don't know if you're allowed to even have that kind of conversation with people anymore because there are people that that don't have children that identify themselves in some different way and they don't wanna say what it is out loud. And I think that, you know, our intentions are good but there also are some legal boundaries that are kind of preventing us, maybe, from being the best that we can. So you kind of have to dance on this line and uh, and do the best you can.
0: True, but you know, I think just asking people, like you know, a, a simple way to open a meeting is, "Hey, you know, who wants to just share something good that's happened?" In the last week or the last day, then it's up to somebody. I mean, look, how's
1: your life? How's your life going? You know, how's How's your life going?
0: Somebody share something that's going on because then people, yeah, you know what? My grandson, who we watch two weeks out of every month, like I didn't know that. We're over and we had his birthday party. It was awesome. What you do is you can create some openings for people to share whatever they're comfortable with. Yeah, I I think the more you do things, or you know what, Uh, just a simple thing have everybody go take something simple like the strengths finder and then you go around as a team and talk about your top 5 and give feedback on how you're applying that to your current job role and am i in the right place and then allow other people to affirm that or give some feedback on that or guess what i'm like wow that's why joel always does that that's his strength well it used to annoy me but i realized you know what this is kind of how joel's wired so I gotta start rethinking my relationship and how I interact with Joel. So we we as leaders can create places. I think it's just as important to, to focus on the relationships that we have not only with our people, but they have with themselves as the transaction side and getting the work done. I, I think they're equally important as leaders. Yeah, listen, I I
1: do too, I do too. So. You know, uh, there's a lot more material here. We could probably go for a long time, but you know, that, that's not bad for uh, for a few minutes.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. Well, guys, this this uh, if you, if you just want to um, get the the copy of this report, it's really easy. All you have to do is text the word trend T R E N D to seventy two thousand on your phone, and Joel will get this over to you. And how else can uh, people connect with you, Joel? Uh, probably the best way, just go to joelblock.com. So joelblock, dot com, And just, you know, hey, buddy, as we wrap up, any final thoughts to just share with everybody out there? You know, uh,
1: let's make this year better than last year. Let's keep our chins up. You know, one of the things that I noticed is most of the people that I know are doing better this year uh, than they were last year. and And it's because they're creative people and they're people who, uh, you know, really just don't take no for an answer. And, you know, try to think of yourself as a creative person that that can do that and that can be successful uh, and it'll happen for you.
0: That's awesome. Thanks, Joe, for taking the time, for coming on, for sharing, guys. I uh, This report is really interesting. I, I just read a book called The Future is Faster Than You Think. And it's really focused on a lot of technology trends that are going to affect life and business, but they're at a, a much higher level. What Joel, what I love what you did is you brought every, all these different areas down and, and I love your format, right? You, you know what to think about, what industries this affects, what questions you can ask yourself. So I think people, it'd be a great use of your time to get this and go through it and connect with Joel. So uh, thank you for putting this together and for your time, my friend. I, I really value your who you are as a person and just how you think. Uh, it's been a blessing thank
1: thank you for the invitation and uh you know and, and likewise i respect what you do and uh and like you very much so thank you for uh thanks for being my friend
0: yeah you got it all right see you champ